Okay, the, t- today we're, we're continuing in this, uh, this series on 1 Thessalonians. And, and you know, we, we have four values here at Fellowship of Rockies. It, it's the acrostic of SWAT. Uh, the S is we believe in Scripture. We believe that, that uh, all Scripture is, is God-breathed. It is without mistake. It is without error. It is for encouraging, reproof, rebuke, training, teaching, all of that. Uh, we believe in worship, that we should worship Him and we should adore Him. And then we believe in acceptance, uh, that, that we accept people. We may not accept their sin. We may not accept their lifestyle. But we accept people and we minister to them. And the T in that is, is transformation, Romans 12, 1 through 2, that we believe that the Bible teaches, and that's what the Bible teaches, that when people come to Christ, that their lives are transformed. Their lives are never the same. Now listen, we find ourselves in a group of Scripture that is a difficult group of Scripture, but this is why we preach through the Bible here. Because it doesn't, you know, if you're not careful as a preacher, you'll just preach on the stuff you like. You'll preach on the fun stuff. You'll preach on the easy stuff. But when you and I are willing with integrity to walk through verse by verse through a group of Scriptures, that it forces us to deal with those Scriptures that make us a little uncomfortable. Now listen, today... These scriptures are probably going to make you uncomfortable, just like the the other two services. There may be a little bit of tension in the room, but that's a good thing. And you know what? Uh, I may offend some of you throughout the course of of this this talk. And and so if if I do, and if you have any complaints, you can send them to Justin at fellowshiptherockies.org. So uh, that's J-U-S-T-I-N, and he'd be happy to, to, to respond. So anyway, uh, we just want to look at what God's Word says about this issue of sexual purity. Now, there's probably not another subject that a preacher can speak on other than money that kind of gets the room more tense than this. But we want to talk about this issue. What does the Bible say about this issue of sexual purity? And, and, and I just got to tell you, uh, our services, all of our services so far have been pretty much different. There's a different group of people at every service. There's a different group of issues. There's a different group of backgrounds in every service. And and there's times, and I hope you understand this, but there's, there's times when, when I prepare for a sermon and I look at my notes and look at the things that I plan on saying, and, and I'm in my office, I'm like, God, I need you to turn water to wine. I mean, remember Jesus' first miracle when they ran out of wine and Jesus' mother came to him and said, they're out of wine and can you do something? And he says, well, you know, go get the guys and have them dip uh, the jars in the, in the water jars and then take it to the wine taster. And something happened between the water jar and the wine taster. Water became wine. And there's those times in my ministry, there's those times in sermons that I look at the notes and say, God, I got water here. I need you to turn it to wine. And something happens between my office and the worship center. And so this morning, I am asking God that he would just take simple water that had turned to wine and that he would minister to us and help us in this area. You see, we have a choice. We can look at the world with a secular, non-Christian worldview, or we can do what the Bible says, and we need to develop a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is this. A biblical worldview is you look at the world through the lens of Scripture, and you put it up against that. And you don't base your beliefs and you don't base your thoughts on social norms, what's politically correct, what's not, what's popular. But you take the word and you open the word and you develop a biblical worldview, even though it may cut across social norms. 
even though it may have cut across what is acceptable. Now listen, sometimes we have false beliefs, and we have false beliefs in this fact that we are living in a time where there's just like this unbridled lust and, and sexual immorality is worse now than it's ever been. fact is, let me give you some quotes from some leaders. Some leaders have said some things like this in the world that says that no one should tell us to, to bridle our lust or any pleasure should be forbidden. That let our desires and pleasures trump, trump over, uh, even sometimes reason, but only if it does not hurt us or someone else. Those quotes came from the leaders in the culture of Thessalonica. Our leaders are saying the same thing. Our leaders are saying the same thing, that we should be free to live and do however we want, as long as it doesn't hurt us or anyone else. And we really know that's not true. I mean, we really understand that. We really get that. You see, in their culture, in their culture, a wife was only for producing children, educating them, and taking care of them. Fact is, it was totally acceptable and permissible for a man, not the woman, for a man to have any sexual relationships that he desired outside of marriage. Fact is, really and truly, all they cared about in their culture, like ours, was the, the, the social impact of illegitimate children. And by the way, there's no such thing as illegitimate children. There are illegitimate parents, but there is no such thing as illegitimate children. And see, all they cared about was the social... In fact, is when you listen to our world, our leaders discuss this topic of sexual purity, all they're worried about is illegitimate children and the drain on the social system. It's all monetary. The same was true in their day as well as ours. And so Paul starts this church in Thessalonica. They are coming out of this culture. They were coming into the church. They are meeting Christ. And the Bible says that when we meet Christ, that our lives should be different. And what Paul was saying is, is that we should live distinctive lives. In other words, there should be a difference in the life of a believer than a non-believer. That we should live distinctive lives. We should live different lives. We shouldn't live as those who do not know God. Unfortunately, in the lives of a lot of believers, their life looks exactly the same as those who profess not to know God. Jesus said the same thing. Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, he said, You are the salt of the earth, talking to believers. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under uh, people's feet. Paul said in Ephesians 4.18, he said they had become calloused and given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You see, it should not shock us that people who do not know God about their choices or about our lifestyle. But Paul says it should shock us when people profess to know God, profess to follow him, and their life reflects a non-believer. And so this morning, I'm going to give you just, just three things as we walk through this. Uh, in fact, this is exactly what, what Paul gave to them. And I know that we're going to have some tense moments together just here in a few minutes. But, but I'm going to give you the practice. I'm going to give you the problem. 
and then I'm going to give you the uh, I'm going to give you the plan, the problem, and the prescription. So the first one is this: is we're just going to look at the plan. We're going to look at God's plan. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse one. Here's here's what the scripture says. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to what and to please God. He's saying you're not here to please a world's value system. You're not here to please a system. You're not here to be politically correct. You're not here to try to please a system that does not know God, that is godless. You're not even here to try to fit in. Fact is, you're here to live distinctive lives. You're here to live different lives. Because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there should be a difference in the choices you make. There should be a difference in your lifestyle. And so he goes on and says, just as you're doing, so he's encouraging them at this point, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Before every service, I, I meant to just, just use my Bible soft, software and search on this, but just from memory, I think there's only two times, maybe three times, that the Word says in the New Testament, this is the will of God. Fact is, okay, so we know this. Very few times does the word say, this is the will of God. So this is a strong statement that Paul is making. Paul said, okay, so just so you're wondering, just so you got some questions on this, this is the will of God for your life. What? Your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Now listen, that word abstain is what causes the world to push back on. They're like, that's ridiculous. You're uneducated. That doesn't even make sense anymore. You, you cannot ask people, you cannot ask kids, you cannot ask students to abstain from... And we wonder, when we teach Johnny, that Johnny, you cannot control your desires, you cannot control your body. And then we wonder why when Johnny grows up and becomes an adult, he has that same philosophy. See, this word abstinence, This word abstinence is why a community of leaders will not ask believers to come to the table and help them discuss and solve the problem of unwed mothers and teen pregnancy because they know we're going to talk about abstinence. And to them, that's just crazy. That's just unrealistic. See, they only care about illegitimate births. They only care about the drain on the system Sex is more than just a physical act. It's an emotional as well. That's why some people carry huge emotional scars in this area. So Paul says this is your sanctification, which means to be set apart, set apart to be distinctive, set apart to be different, set apart for a a person that, that God created us different than animals, that, that, that we, can, we, 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 can, we have control over our lives, we have control over our bodies. And he goes on, verse 4, that each one of you know how to what? To control his own body. Now listen, in the Greek, that word control is very, very important. It's a word, it's where we get the English word proficient. What this means is, is that like in classical Greek or common everyday Greek in their time, uh, when you study it, it kind of helps give some meaning to the biblical word. And so they would use this word in their day. They would talk about a musician that was proficient in his or her craft. They would use it professionally. They may talk about a doctor. They may talk about an accountant. They may talk about a, a plumber or, or, a, or, a, or a carpenter, a school teacher and say, that person is proficient, they are excellent, 
They are good at what they do. And so Paul's using this word here. It says that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and, and in honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He said your lifestyle in the area of sex, in the area of choices that you make with purity, your lifestyle should look totally, if you want God's blessing. See, any area of your life that you want God's blessing... You line your life up with him, and he will bless you. He is not here to rain on your parade. He is not here to make life difficult for you. He is here to love you and to protect you and to support you and to encourage you so you don't have a life of broken relationships or great pain in your life. And he said, you're supposed to be distinctive. See, we live in a time, whether it's politicians, whether it's sports stars, whether it's Hollywood actors, that they're bragging about their, their, their conquest. They're bragging, bragging about the number. They're bra- and you know what? And we have a world that cheers that on. We have a world that looks up to that. And what Paul is saying, as believers, if you want to look distinctive, if you want to look different, it's in this area of your, of your life. And see, the world, the world system says no one should limit how I want to live. But Paul said, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God for your life. And here's what's so interesting about it. He's given a command. Oh, and he's given a command from God. Verse 8, watch this. is so fascinating. So now we know there are some people in their, their culture pushing back on this. Now we know there are some people within the church that have come into the church. And you know what? They're pushing back on this as well. Uh, verse 8, therefore... Whoever disregards this, whoever ignores this, whoever laughs at this, whoever says that's unreasonable, whoever does that, disregards not man, disregards not me, but God, who gave the Holy Spirit to you. In other words, this, the the non-believer, the person without Christ, they don't have the Holy Spirit in them, so there's no way they can control some of their desires. They don't have the power. The only way we can as believers is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is saying. You disregard this. You're not not disregarding man. I didn't even come up with this. I mean, God's the one that created sex, right? I mean... We all get that, right? God's the one that created sex. Shouldn't we listen to him? Shouldn't we look at him like maybe he knows what he's talking about? Since he's the one that kind of came up with the whole deal? And because also we could look around and and we can see the, the pain. We can see the hurt. We may be carrying some ourselves when this has been broken. See, Paul would almost question some of the people in his church that if you're truly a believer, that... Your life looks like the pagan. Your life looks like the one that that professes not even to know God. I mean, because Scripture teaches that, man, the believer, there's like this transformation that happens, and their life changes, and we'll talk about that. But So there's the plan. There's God's plan. There's, There's the problem. The problem with that is the problem with... The problem with the problem is they were disregarding it. There were some people pushing back. There were some people saying that that's crazy. There were some people that 
saying that's just totally unreasonable. Joseph. Remember in the story of Joseph with Potiphar's wife and Joseph had a purity test and oh by the way I believe we all have a purity test. And I believe we have purity tests that sometimes are ongoing. And remember Potiphar's wife just about threw herself at him. And here's the interesting thing. God blessed Joseph's life greatly. When he passed that test. See, we have people that say it's just totally unreasonable to tell children. I mean, we don't mind telling kids you can say no to drugs and you can say no to drinking and you can say no to some of those things and you can say no to murder. And, but in the area of sex, let us just help you teach you so there's just no real consequences, which we know is unreasonable. There's, a, there's a, a man, he was a Bible study teacher for some high school students, and so he had some, some high school boys over at the house, and, and so they're talking, they're walking through some scripture, and so they're talking about this issue of sexual purity. And so this boy smarted off, like some high school students do, and he smarted off to the teacher, and he says, dude, you don't know my girlfriend. When I'm with her, I can't control myself. Teacher said, well, let me ask you a question. Let's say you're at her home alone. You guys are alone. And all of a sudden, you hear a car door pull up, a car pull up, you hear a car door slam, and you realize it's her dad. Could you stop? <laughs> Listen, we are not listening for a car door. We are not listening to who gets offended, who gets hurt. We are to listen to the very voice of God that tells us, that tells us, that if you will walk in your dating life with purity, I'll bless that relationship. You'll walk in purity in a marriage, I'll bless it. The, the Spirit of God should transform someone's life. In fact, as Paul was writing to the Corinthian church that was dealing with this same subject. And so he spoke into their congregation. And so watch this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. He says, and such were some of you. Huge statement. Because we're going to find out who were they. What is he talking about? As such were some of you. What were, what were they carrying? And so here he goes. He says, but you were washed. In other words, you were washed by the blood. We don't talk about that a lot in some churches anymore, but we were washed by the blood. We were, uh, because of the death and burial and resurrection of, the, uh, uh, of Jesus Christ, that we are forgiven of our sins, we are we're cleansed, we are made pure. So he says you were washed, uh, you were sanctified, which is what Paul was talking about. You were justified. I mean, this is just all theology right here. I mean, you were justified just as, just as if you had never sinned. This is a huge word that, that Paul uses. And he says, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So when he says, and such were some of you, what were their habits? What were they like? Watch this. You've got to go back to verse 9. We'll read verse 9 through 10 that leads up to verse 11. And here's what he says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul begins going and talking about this issue that, that the danger of the church, and we'll get back to this, but the danger of a church, the danger of being a believer for so long is you forget what God saved you out of. You forget what your life would be like without him. So when people come into the church and they have this lifestyle, they have these things that are going on in our life, if you're not careful, you'll judge them. Because you forget, I was once that person. That was me. But God saved me. And God transformed me. See, here's the crummy deal about temptation. Let's just talk about it for a second. We talked about it, men's group on Sunday, Saturday morning, just an awesome time we had with, a, with, with a, just a bunch of men. But, and we just talked about temptation in just real raw ways. And Because uh, they're like, no ladies in the room. So you don't have to worry what you say. You know, I didn't mean that in a bad, that sounded bad. You know what I meant. I mean, talk about it as men. Same thing you ladies do when it's just ladies. And you say, you know, we can talk just as ladies because the men won't get it. Well, we have those same conversations, or we should. And so we talked about this issue of temptation. Listen, let me tell you something. You cannot choose your temptation. I cannot choose my temptation. What you can choose is what you do with that temptation. What you can choose is the act. See, the temptation is not a sin. There are some people that have been taught. There are some people that are carrying a lot of guilt because of some temptations that they have in life, and they feel like it's sin. No. Satan will beat you up. You will beat yourself up. Listen, we all know that we have some tendencies. We have some bents. We have what tempts me may not tempt you. What, you know what? For, to have temptation, there has to be a desire. See, temptation is an inside job. My wife's been, been away for a week, and uh, I haven't been tempted once to eat any vegetables in the house. None. No rice cakes, no, no vegetables. I meant real men cook over open flame. That's all I've been doing. I mean, I may be in the three and four different meat groups for one meal, pork and ribs and brisket and chicken and steak, and just sitting there just laughing. And you know what? My wife isn't tempted by meat. She didn't really, you know, different. So for there to be a temptation, there has to be a desire. See, what the Bible says, we cannot control our temptations. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel. You want to know what we believe is a gospel? Casey Anthony got out last night. I read it when I went home from church. You don't know what we believe about the gospel? How would we treat her if she worshiped with us this morning? Would we, would we love her? Would we not judge her? Would we offer her forgiveness in Christ? What, what, what Paul's trying to get them to understand, as some of you were. See, temptation, not a sin. It's what we do with it. And uh, Paul Harvey, many years back, told this this story about, it's just one of those that I'll never forget. He told the story about a stewardess, and, and she was nice looking, and she was on a flight, and she had two men, one at the front of the plane, one at the back of the plane, that were like hitting on her the whole trip. 
And so finally the guy at the front of the plane got pretty much in her face, got aggressive and took out his business card, put his address because the plane was, 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 she was going to lay over. He had found that out through some conversation. And so, so he took out his business card, put the address to his apartment on the business card and says, boy, I'd love to see you tonight. As soon as you get done here, here's my address. Why don't you come over? To which she immediately went back to the back of the plane to the guy that had been hitting on her and said, here, don't be late. <laughs> That's good, right? I mean, there are, there are creative ways that we can handle temptation. Listen, there are creative ways that you can handle your temptation. Those bents, those desires that you have, don't put yourself in those situations. Put some accountability in place. Understand that, listen, those, those temptations is not sin. It is what you do with that. It's what you do with those desires, how you carry them out in your life. And so I want to just give you the, we looked at the plan, uh, we looked at the problem, but let's look at the prescription because, you see, now remember, they're in a community much like ours that even farther away from where we are currently, but we're not long behind them, really. And the, the plan that, that, uh, that he has and the prescription, verse 9. Watch this. Now concerning brotherly love. Isn't that interesting? He moves. You know what he's doing? He's going through two contrasts. The distinctive lives for the believer. How you handle your body. How do you love those who disagree with you? How do you love those that their lifestyle may be different than yours, that don't know Christ? It is such a word into the church. If a church is going to be dynamic, if a church is going to reach a community, because I'm telling you, it is coming. And so he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Person, see, I don't think anyone believes God loves them because they're constantly told over and over that God loves you. I think people learn that God loves them because they've been shown God's love by a believer. A person that loves you will stand in between you and the cliff, speaking truth in love, saying, don't go over the cliff. Don't go outside of the boundaries that God has played. It will not end well. It will not end well. Don't do it. A person that loves you will stand in. This is what Paul is doing for the... You know what? Really and true, that's what I'm doing for you this morning. I'm trying to stand in between you and the cliff. Don't do it. Honor your life. See, there's this contrast that Paul is bringing up. The way we handle our choices, the way we handle our body, and the way that we love others. Because we know when we start talking about sexual purity, man, it's full on with the world. They say some hateful things about Christians. But listen, let me tell you something whether it's a militant group or whether it's a group of people or whether it's just a world system, 
The Bible tells us this. We don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. It doesn't give us the right to speak hate. It doesn't give us the right to judge them. It doesn't give us the right to attack them. And Jesus said this in John 15. If the world hates you, know it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, he said, you're not in the world. So there's a contrast. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. There's a growing number of people, and we know this right in our society. They hate Christians. They laugh at Christians. They make fun of our value systems. They make fun of abstinence. They make fun of sexual purity. They make... fact is, if you're a politician and you're a believer and you say you're born again, it opens you up to all kinds of problems. See, the world doesn't know love. See, the world is hypocritical in their love. They talk about tolerance. Tolerance is this. As long as you agree with the world's system, we can be friends. It's not tolerance. Not tolerance. See, I believe, and we're just going to get really, really personal, like we haven't already. <laughs> See, I believe, with where we're headed as a society, um, same-sex marriage in New York, marriage is no longer society between a man and a woman. It really can be anything you want now. Whether you believe the political analyst or not, it's not long for the day in Colorado when there'll be same-sex marriage. I believe, and just hear me all the way through, I believe that the church has missed it. Yes, at the very core, homosexuality is a choice. Okay? I mean, both sides really agree on that. That's why they call it sexual preference. So at the core, we all agree it's a choice. It's a choice that someone makes. But Christians have to be men and women of integrity that understand yes, it's a choice, but for some, there is a bent. For some, there is a war raging inside of them with same-sex attraction. Now, God did not create them that way. I'm not even telling you that. But we know this, right? That people have bents. You cannot choose your temptation. I mean, for, you know, and here's the crazy deal. For the church to reach this community... We got to speak, quit speaking hate. We got to quit making jokes. We got to quit laughing at them. And we got to quit attacking them. The church should be the place that, regardless of your issue, that you can walk in and with the gospel you can find freedom in Christ, regardless of the, of the issue. It's what Paul was saying in Corinthians. Some of you. Some of you were. Some of you were this. But God has, has transformed you. That God has, has, has changed you. That God has set you free. If they want to speak hate into the church, let them do it all. But we don't return evil for evil. 
We don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good and helping them understand. Listen, and maybe this is so personal to me because I've just watched the wars rage. And I had a, a man in, it, when I was in Houston, Texas in the 80s and in our church and been in our church for so long and, and uh, wife and three kids. I knew his wife. I knew his kids. And just a beautiful family. And, and one day his wife came to church alone and she's emotional and she's crying. And, and then it comes out that her husband left her for another man. And I'm like, to him, why didn't you say anything? He said, how could I? In the church. How could I? You see, the church is good with people walking in the doors with a bent towards alcoholism. And we'll get you an AA and we'll, 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 we'll help you with the gospel. And, and uh, it may be a lifelong struggle, but we'll teach you how to have power in that life. And we're good with a person that struggles with lust. And we're good with a person that struggles with porn. And we're good that... A, but then we move over into that area. See, the church, the church is going to be a dynamic church in the coming days. It's going to group of, be a group of people that have learned how to minister to those regardless of their baggage regardless of what they're carrying. See, there's reasons that the world gets so angry is because they don't like light shined on their darkness. They don't like to be exposed. John 3.19 says, And this is the judgment, the light that has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Sometimes the church, when the church becomes judgmental and mean-spirited, may deserve some of the criticism that they get. Donald Barnhouse just did a, a work on Gandhi's life and found that Gandhi, early in his life, went to a church to explore the claims of Jesus Christ. And some usher greeter that I'm sure was poorly trained, but <laughs> met him at the front steps, used a racial slur, and said, you're not welcomed here. And Gandhi rejected claims of Christ. That's why the A in SWAT, our values, is so important to me. Acceptance. Galatians 3.20 says this, says, in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek. Listen, what he's talking about is, he's talking about racism. He's talking about that in Christ, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter your last name, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter. In Christ, yes, we totally get it. In society, it does matter. In society, we're not as far along as we think we are. In society, it does matter. But in the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek. In the church, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the name, your last name. And then he says, and in Christ, there is neither slave nor free. You see, slave and free, in their culture, you were either born slave, you were born a free person. And there's nothing you could ever do to change that. And so what he's saying, in Christ, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter whether you're born on the good side of the tracks or the bad side of the tracks. It doesn't matter who your mama was. It doesn't matter who your daddy was. It doesn't matter where you're from. That in Christ, 
There is none of that. There is no place for that. That there is total acceptance in Christ. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And a church that is accepting. Listen, you don't have to accept someone's sin. And you don't have to accept their lifestyle. But we are called to minister to them. And give them hope. And speak the truth in love. And Paul said, in verse 10, he said, For that, that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So he's talking about loving them. He's talking about uh, evangelism. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about in just a few minutes, you're going to go out of here as missionaries. And you're going to go work a job. You're going to be in a community. You're going to be in a home. And you're an ambassador of Christ. How are you going to handle that person? You're going to judge them? You're going to offer them freedom in Christ? We represent Him. And the church should be the place. That people can come. This is my struggles. This is what I'm dealing with. Without any guilt, without any judgment. And we teach them the gospel. And how they can overcome that in their life and live a life of freedom and live a life of acceptance and live a life of blessing of God on their life. This morning, you know, I know this is a heavy message, and, but I think it's much needed. Some of you, man, you need to accept Christ because I'm telling you, without him, you'll never live pure in any area of your life. No hope, no chance. Some of you need to accept him. Some of you have gone from one broken relationship to the others and you have the scars of a sexual past because it's not just physical. It becomes part of you. And you need freedom. 